Hi, I just wanted to share with the listeners that if anyone is going out to Memphis, Tennessee, you can actually see Tina Turner's old school that she, old elementary school that she went to. And also, you get to see a lot of her outfits that she wore in uh, different concerts and movies and a lot of her gold records. So cool. Thank you very much for that tip. We are kind of sharing great memories and thoughts of Tina Turner this morning, passed away at the age of 83. Just a phenomenal talent. I'm so glad we have a chance to talk to Vaughn Palmer about that this morning. Like, Vaughn, I think Tina Turner yesterday still could have sold out every big stadium around the world. Yeah, it's an amazing story, Tina Turner. And I and I heard you talking a little bit a few minutes ago, Simi, saying you saw her in 1984 yes. as an opening act. And one of the best parts of the Tina Turner story is her comeback. Because after she left Ike Turner for good reasons, and the Ike and Tina Turner review broke up, uh, Turner really had to struggle for a long time. She spent the late 1970s as kind of a nostalgia act, you know, going back and doing her old hits. People would go see her, as you did, and and go, wow, what a performer. She was known as a terrific performer. And then in 1984, you, she puts out the album Private Dancer. It had just come out. That's which, why she was touring with Lionel Richie. Yeah, which sells like millions of copies and she becomes a superstar, and she's 45 years old, right? Rock and roll is supposed to be a young person's game, and back then it still was. So it's an incredible story, and then you're right. She goes on from there as a performer who every time she changes her mind about retiring and goes back on tour, I'm looking around YouTube last night, and there's... Tina Turner live in London. She's 70 years old doing Proud Mary. I know something about being 70 years old. (laughs) And it really is an amazing story. Um, They finally got around to putting her in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by herself as a solo performer. She's the only woman to ever be inducted twice because she went in as the Ike and Tina Turner review. Um, Another, you know, when people are looking around at stuff, uh, I recommend uh, one of the early Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concerts, 1989. They bring Tina Turner yes, out. Yes, I watched this last night. Yeah, River Deep Mountain High. So that's a, a legendary song for all kinds of reasons. It's a Phil Spector song, and we don't mention Phil Spector's name anymore if we can avoid it, but there you go. Uh, but Turner said that she saw that as one of the breakthrough songs in her career because it had a melody. She wasn't just an R&B act uh, stirring up energy on the stage, uh, it was the first song that she thinks really showed her range as a singer. And of course, we now, all that stuff is known now, right? But I, I'm always struck with music that one of the stories I really like is <clears throat> the artists who struggled for a long, long yeah. time and then established themselves and everybody goes, oh, I always knew she was great. Well, <laughs> so you true. know, she really put in her Jews, in the music industry and put up with a lot, not least Ike Turner, um, that, you know, it, it really is just a wonderful story in so many ways. 
did you also get the sense that I did when I was watching some of those concerts last night is, is all these other huge performers who are up on stage with her, whether it's Mick Jagger, Elton John, Beyonce, whoever, they just seem so giddy to be on. They can't believe they're there with Tina Turner. Yeah, it really is true. And, you know, uh, I see Jagger out yesterday talking about, uh, you know, his friend and uh, how much he'll miss her. Uh, The Rolling Stones really did have a lot to do with helping Tina Turner's career back when she needed the boost. Uh, You know, they went on tour with the uh, Turner Review as an opening act, and uh, it's... It's one of the funniest and greatest moments at Live Aid. It's the duet between Jagger and Turner and two experts at camping it up and going over the top. Again, that one's on YouTube, recommended. It's funny as hell. It is so good. There's so much to watch, too, especially from the 80s, all these different concerts and things that she was in. Just, uh, like, absolutely phenomenal. I know, I'm I'm really going to miss her. And then you forget how many great songs she had. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. But, I mean, a long, long career, right? Yeah. And, and as I said, I think she retired a couple of times and came back, and I, I agree with you. I think she would have filled the hall uh, if she'd gone on tour this year. And, yeah. I mean, her, her health problems are serious, but she's also 83 years old, right? So True. You know, she said kinda, she was... Kind of are all on that road. <laughs> she was diagnosed with hypertension, she said, in 1978, and she never paid it attention. Her run regret that she talked about in the last couple of years was that she didn't pay enough attention yeah. uh, to her health. But yes, we miss Tina Turner. We could talk about her all day. We do have some other stuff to talk about here because the story involving you know, getting patients to the United States to get some cancer treatment sounds like it's taken a few more twists and turns. Yeah, so there's some fallout from this. You remember last week, uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix announced uh, British Columbia is going to be sending almost 5,000 cancer patients to Bellingham to two clinics for radiation treatment because the waiting lists for radiation treatment here in Britain are too long, so they did it. Uh, he also announced the government was going to be putting up the money to cover it, not just for the treatments, $12,000 uh, per patient for treatment, but about $4,000 per patient for travel costs, accommodation, and travel costs for a caregiver or companion to get down there. So a fairly big outlay. And the fallout that we're seeing, and I recommend there's a good piece in The Sun today by my colleague Katie DeRosa, is British Columbia cancer patients going, wait a minute, what about us? Because British Columbians have been paying their own travel and accommodation costs for years. So if you happen to live in one of the communities in BC that has a cancer clinic, you know, you drive over there for your treatment. But if you live in the north of British Columbia or northern Vancouver Island, other parts of the interior, you're traveling a long distance for cancer care and you're paying full freight. Uh, Katie has an example of a woman from the northeast paid $10,000 in travel costs to go and be treated at Prince George, and she's looking at doing it again, and she's going to pay, but I think a fair question. What about us? That is a fair question. Now, we also have to talk about what's going on at Surrey Memorial, because despite the fact that there's all this talk about, oh, we're not allowed to say anything, quite a few people are saying something, which is good. Yeah, so Dr. Ip, who went public this week and uh, know was on Global a couple of nights ago, uh, he, uh, he agreed to go out and speak on behalf of all of these Surrey doctors who put together what was originally an 
an, an anonymous letter and an anonymous website about the problems at Surrey Memorial. And he said, oh, I've been there 30 years and, you know, I'm nearing retirement. They can't do anything to me. I'm going to go public and speak about this. One of the things he did was he provided examples of how the gag order works out there. So he said, okay, there may not be a gag in so many words, but here's some examples. And he gave three. So in the, the most dramatic one, the Surrey doctors put together a poster for the ER at Surrey Memorial just telling patients we're overcrowded, we have a shortage of admitting doctors, and you're going to be waiting. So be aware that you're going to be waiting. It's just a, a, an advisory. Fraser Health made them take it down. Another Surrey doctor, disciplined, or not disciplined, but reprimanded, he puts on the patient's chart that treatment may be held up because of these problems. And the third example is, he says, you know, there was a vice president of, uh, who told uh, the doctors, uh, don't go public, go through communications at Fraser Health. Well, those of us who've tried to go through communications say, at, good luck. at yeah. Fraser Health know that uh, it's a dead end. It'll take forever for them to get back to you. In fact, I was talking to our colleague uh, Keith Baldry yesterday about the problems of getting anything out of the communications in Fraser Health. So, you know, Adrian Dick says, ah, there's no gag order. Well, you can believe him, right? But I think the anecdotes that we're getting out of healthcare professionals suggest that there is a de facto gag order. They do discourage doctors from going public with their concerns. To their credit, the doctors are nevertheless going public and telling us all, but there's, uh, you know, in the back of their minds, I'm sure there's some thought of maybe I am putting my career at risk. I'm sure there is. I wonder, this is like a, a, a health region, it seems to me, problem. Interior, whether it's interior health, island health, Fraser health, I feel like that is where the buck stops and that, that's where the impenetrable wall is. Yeah, you know, uh, and the, the way the system works, and, you know, those of us who try to get information, we're used to this. You go to the health region, they kick you back to the health ministry, go talk to Adrian Dix, health communications passes you around, uh, the health region communications pass you around. I mean, remember back when we used to have those regular press conferences on COVID, you know, our colleagues around the province would be phoning in to ask Dr. Bonnie Henry about some issue with COVID care at their local hospital. The reason they were doing that is because they were told, I'll go ask Dr. Henry. The health region wouldn't answer the question. There is a bureaucratic problem in healthcare communications. Most journalists have run into it at one time or another. And again, the idea that there is no gag order, okay, you may not be able to find a written order, but I think healthcare professionals are discouraged from going public. I commend those who've done it. Um, whether they did it anonymously or whether they did it through leaks or whether they did it through an open letter as the doctors at the uh, Salt Spring Island Hospital did last week, it does take guts to go out there and tell the public what is going on in mm -hmm. a monopoly healthcare system where, you know, there are subtle and sublime ways to uh, kind of push back at you if you dare to do it. That is very true. Vaughn, thank you. Bye-bye, Simi.